welcome to Bloody Marys, a queer horror movie podcast. This episode, we're reviewing Poltergeist. I'm the man of your dreams, and the woman of your nightmares, <laughs> Sean. I'm your face flopping off in clumps into the sink. <laughs> <laughs> Alex. <laughs> we are two queer horror nerds uh, coming into your ears from Hackney, and uh, our pronouns are they, them. Uh, some content notes for this episode. Uh, there, there aren't any. Yes, it's fairly so mild. mild. <laughs> but there will, of course, be spoilers. And we may be using uh, curse words. Cursed words. Mm. Uh, another uh, spoiler for me personally. I have a cold. <laughs> so I apologise. I think it sounds kind of cute. Coronavirus. It's not coronavirus. <laughs> I think it sounds kind of co- cute. It's a common, a common <laughs> garden cold. Um, but yes, yeah, so that, that, that explains that. <laughs> So, Poltergeist, uh, as it were, is a 1982 <laughs> film uh, directed by uh, Tobe Hooper and written by Steven Spielberg, Michael Grace. It's Toby, isn't it? Is it? I think you pronounce the E. Do you? Yeah. Tobe E. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's spelled T-O-B-E. This is that's the confusion. Um, uh, so, Steven Spielberg, two people called Mark, who I've never heard of, and um, and didn't do anything else, and uh, and a story by Spielberg. Um, it had a budget of ten point seven million and grossed a hundred and twenty one point seven mil Oops. at box office. Um, as Spielberg was contractually unable to direct another film while he made E.T. The extraterrestrial. Um, uh, <laughs> Hooper was selected based on his work on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre um, and The Fun House, which I haven't seen. Um, Spielberg conceived of Poltergeist as a horror sequel to his 1977-70 film, uh, Close Encounter of the Third Kind, um, titled Night Skies. However, Hooper was less interested in the sci-fi elements and suggested they collaborate on a ghost story. Um... Accounts differ on the level of Spielberg's involvement, but it's clear that he was just constantly there and exerting his like mm. his crazy control over it. Um, embodying, yeah. Um, I basically he basically wants to make the film, but just couldn't, and so just like. Um, so wait, do you know what the timelines are with this in ET? I don't know. Yeah. It must be soon after. Um, so uh, for that reason, some have expressed the view that Spielberg should be considered the film's co-director. Or even the main director, <laughs> um, though both Spielberg and Hooper have disputed this. Um, yeah, there's loads of like bitterness surrounding it, and like lots of stories about on set kind of like nonsense between the two mm. of them. Um, yeah, and apparently even Tangina didn't like didn't like Hooper. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, which makes me not like him. No, so <laughs> I trust her implicitly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, it was released by Metro Goldwyn Mayer on June 4th, 1982. Um, it was a major critical success and commercial success, um, becoming the hi- eighth highest grossing film of 1982. Eighth highest doesn't sound like really successful, <laughs> there we go. Well, I, it depends how many films there are. <laughs> there were eight films. <laughs> um, years since its release, the film has been recognised as a horror classic. It was also nominated for three Academy Awards. Um, was it? I bet that was quite rare for horror films. Yeah, but they're all like 
sound design and special oh, effects. Okay. It's not That's like obvious. acting. Yeah. Um, um, do you think it feels like a Spielberg film? Yeah. Do you? Yeah. It's the kind of like fantasy and the kind of like glowiness and the special effects feel very kind of like Spielberg to me. Yeah, I think it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't feel as big budget as some of his other ones, but I think the, I think the fact that I can't not see it as a bit of a family film yeah. is what makes it quite spielberg for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as, as many of you will have heard of probably the, the Poltergeist franchise, um, not just this film, um, is believed by some to be cursed Oh, we love a cursed franchise, don't we? So we do. Due to the premature deaths of... It says several people associated, but there's actually just four. Um, well, how, what qualifies as several? Exactly, Sean. <laughs> I'd say four. Fourveral. <laughs> <laughs> um, so fourveral people died. Uh, that's four. Um, and... Um, <laughs> Not seven, which is several. (laughs) 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 Um, So, uh, yeah, so who died? (laughs) Go on, who died? No, who died? So uh, the main one, obviously, the most famous one is Heather O'Rourke, who plays Carol Ann, the kind of angelic little child who's like the lead in the film. Um, she was misdiagnosed with Crohn's disease um, and then the following year fell ill with flu. Um, well, what they thought was flu. Um, and then the next day she like collapsed and had a heart attack. Um, and uh, they tried to, they basically airlifted her to a children's hospital to operate on her. And uh, there was like a bowel obstruction and it was like, believe she'd been suffering from some congenital intestinal abnormality. Mm-hmm. So the, um, she she had the the cardiac arrest when she was not cardiac arrest the heart attack when she was filming. Well, it, I think the filming had mostly finished. Um, and was this the third one? The third one, yeah. Um, and um, and so I think I think there were some scenes where they had to use a double um, when they were doing refilms, yeah, but it was mostly well. done. Um, but yeah, it's sad. She was all full of poo. And mm-hmm. so she got toxins in her blood because of all the poo. So yeah, that's that's her. Well, the thing is, is that these cursed deaths. It's like that was like that wasn't like a that wasn't like an evil curse. That was just like a, a defect in her bowels. Yeah. yeah. Um, Dominique Dunn, who plays the older sister, who we literally never see, and I completely forgot existed. Yeah. Um, when we're watching it again, I pretended that I couldn't see it. <laughs> Because <laughs> Alex like, couldn't remember girl? being there. <laughs> I don't see any girl. Um, what girl? What girl? Shut up. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, Dana Freeling um, met a, a tragic death. Um, she separated from a partner in 1982, and um, in the November of that year, he showed up to try and, like, take, like, get her back. And uh, she said no, and uh, she he strangled her, choked her until she was unconscious, and left her to die on her, like... Hollywood Holmes driveway. Mm. Um, she was taken to hospital, but she was she never woke up from the coma. Basically, how old was she? Uh, she was actually I sort of like she's like I think she was she was older than basically you'd think because I remember there wasn't that much of an age difference between the the parents and her and her ah, okay. thing. But yeah, I don't know. Um, the other two cast members are actually people who aren't in the first film. Um, so it's the evil preacher Kane. Um, from Poltergeist 2, who's played by Julian Beck, 
who is like iconic. Oh, he's the like really sort of like green skinned looking one with the yeah. like sallow he's, cheeks. Exactly, the most sallow. Mm. And like he's just basically like iconic. The like. most sallow. <laughs> <laughs> and like I always think I see him everywhere. Just like when I, when I scare myself, he's he's very terrifying. He's trying to scare me to be honest. <laughs> Are you him? Um, <laughs> uh, but he was uh, diagnosed with stomach cancer um, while he was filming this. this film actually and then died the moment it finished essentially um and uh, the second one was uh uh will sampson who played taylor the native american shaman uh he died after undergoing a heart lung transplant uh, which apparently had very slim survival rates anyway mm. curse yeah it's just a series of things that happen in life isn't yeah it? um uh, several people obviously point to the fact that they used real skeletons on set as the the reason for the curse, but apparently after like because we saw like there's quite a good dead documentary series actually on Shadow, which mm. is like about cursed films, and this is one of them. It turns out that basically it like uh skeletons imported from India weirdly um were a lot cheaper uh to like import in than plastic ones like to make, mm. and so they were quite commonplace in all horror films, but for some reason in this film it became a big deal um uh, yeah, I mean, I guess there are lots of them, and mm. she's very up close and personal with Yeah, them. she didn't know they were real when they were filming, apparently, so she wasn't best pleased about that. Yeah, <laughs> it's really unethical. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess there's questions about it being unethical to be using skeletons in the first place, but um, I love my skeleton. I think we talked about this after we watched that documentary. I love my skeleton to be used in a horror film. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Please do it. Consider this uh, notarized uh, official will. That one business. that, that pops, the coffin that pops out of the ground covered like with all of its pearls and finery. Yes, that up. would be me. me. I'd drop. insist on wearing pearls. <laughs> <laughs> finery. <laughs> um, some other spooky things. Apparently, Jo Beth, who's the mum, had a supernatural experience during the make of film. Uh, she said, whenever she came home from filming, the pictures on the walls of my house were crooked. Um, every time she fixed them, they would hang crooked again. Um, Zelda Rubenstein, the icon, uh, also experienced uh, a vision where her dog came to her to say goodbye on set, and uh, li- hours later, her mum called her to say that her dog had actually died. Aww. So, yeah. Poor Zelda. Poor Zelda. Um, some random bits of film trips. Um, there is a jump cut, which we noticed this time. You know that oh, bit where yeah. it just suddenly went... Bleep, bleep, bleep. Yeah, it looks um, like a mistake. Yeah, well, apparently it's just in the film, um, and it's because they apparently slagged off uh, Pizza Hut. <laughs> and so they just, like, sloppily cut it out. I don't know, like, it's so weird, and it's just because they didn't want to offend Pizza Hut. I, I, I don't understand how talented filmmakers couldn't have turned that into, like, a more... Yeah. Seamless cut. I know, it's just such a weird... Rather than just be like mid-sentence, just <laughs> yeah. changing to a different scene. Because I, I wondered if you, uh, we'd, we were watching like a dodgy version. Dodgy version, yeah, no. I just never noticed that before, but... Um, uh, the other thing... Uh, another thing. Um, a Carol Ann other thing. <laughs> um, uh, so she, when she's sitting in front of her TV in her, her parents' bedroom, the second time it's all spoopy, um, the TV set shows 237 as the time. And, Which is the room of the yes, shining? Exactly. I have, well, it's from the film. Yeah, yeah. Not the, uh, yes, not the book. Yes. I was about to say I have it tattooed on my arm, but I don't. I have the original the number two seventeen. Um, 
Oh yeah, the other thing that we talked about actually after watching the film was Dr. Leash, um, who's like the paranormal expert, makes the point that the paranormal activity in the Freeling home is probably a poltergeist, not a haunting, since poltergeists typically are associated with a person and hauntings are associated with a place. However, this assessment is revealed to be incorrect um, when Stephen realises the house is actually built on a cemetery. Uh, this it's, means I it was actually, a haunting and not a poltergeist. Yeah, I actually think that the the kind of law around what is what's happening is really really like sh- kind of patchy when mm. you try and kind of assemble it or deassemble it yeah um but yeah um finally well it's not finally i've got an extra special section but um finally it's pointed out that nothing weird ever happened in the house until the canary died um mm. the freelings have been living in the house for six years why did the ghost suddenly manifest now? Um, people theorise... it's the ghost of the canary. Well, yes, that's one theory. Uh, the uh, other theory is that um, up until then, the spirits had been just lost and they'd been sad, but seeing a deceased creature being given a loving burial on their grounds while their own graves and human remains had been violated on that ground is what made them freak out and haunt everything. Oh, interesting. I kind of like that. I know, isn't it weird? Like, it, it is funny that like yeah, nothing happens until the canary dies. Mm. It's all Tweedy's fault. <laughs> um, so yes, I've got a special segment. What's the other thing we've reviewed that's got a canary that dies in it? Oh, it was our first one, Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Oh. Can you remember the little the canary oh, that goes explodes. mad? Oh, Yeah. Yes. Oh, those times. Those heady days. Um, so this section I'm adding on is called uh, Zelda Rubenstein, the Icon. Okay, should we introduce it with a song? Yes. Zelda Rubenstein. Um, so as well as just being like a proficient badass who like, um, was a nurse and worked in blood and then decided to turn to actressing or actoring. (laughs) Um, if uh, only there was a word that captured both of those. Yes. If only. Um, uh, so, um, Rubenstein or Rubenstein, how do you say it? I'd say Steen. Um, became active in the fight against HIV and AIDS in, uh, 1984. She appeared in a series of adverts uh, directed towards gay men, specifically promoted safer sex and AIDS awareness. Um, Rubens, I'm going to say it however I say it. Um, Rubenstein did not uh, did so at her own risk of her career, especially so shortly after her rise to fame. And admittedly, she did it to uh, she did pay a price career wise. Um, I lost a friend to AIDS, one of my one of the first public figures that dies of AIDS. Um, the actress said in an interview with the Advocate. Um, I knew it was not the kind of disease that would stay in anybody's backyard. It would climb the fences, get over the fences, into all of our homes. It was not limited to one group of people. She attended the first AIDS project, Los Angeles AIDS Walk, as well. Aww. Yeah, isn't that cute? Yeah, I love her. Um, also fun uh, is uh, she was in. She's been in millions of films. I realised actually, but um, my two favourites, uh, if you haven't seen them, are Teen Witch, which is hilarious. It's not really a horror, and then Anguish, which is like a lesser known horror, which is like iconic and mm, very much recommended. Um, also, I didn't know this that she was also uh, a medium and a psychic, rather oh, really? than a small and a psychic. <laughs> <laughs> what in real life yeah yeah was she yeah oh well then it shouldn't have surprised her that much that a dog came to say goodbye no i didn't say it surprised her did i 
No. <laughs> but it shouldn't have been she noteworthy. She died of shock. <laughs> <laughs> that was the curse. <laughs> she was also um, like an advocate for little people as well, wasn't she? Yeah, there's, uh, her Wikipedia is quite a fun read. I recommend it, actually. Yeah. What a babe. What an absolute babe. So the film opens on a scene of a, a sleep dad um, on a little chair by a TV that's playing the national anthem and then cuts out and goes static. The, we then follow the dog around the house as it sort of goes to each of the rooms um, and it visits, like, I think, was it? it goes around the house, sees Caroline and then sees other people. Um, and, um, and when it goes to see Carol Ann, she wakes up and she goes down the stairs. It's really funny, she's wearing this sort of like, uh, <laughs> pajama set that makes her look like a tiny clown. Um, and, <laughs> I uh, also think it's weird that they've got her, like, is she a four year old in it? I don't know how she's going to They've got show. her in like, um, like a onesie with the feet built in, which is like baby babies. Wear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, well, um, she needs a quick poo. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so uh, she comes down. She starts. She's looking at the TV, and she's like, "Hello, what do you look like? Talk louder! I can't hear you." And then she starts like upping her volume, like screaming at the TV, and like, "What do you look like?" <laughs> um, and the family all wake up and come down the stairs and see her. Um, and then, like, she's still carrying on talking. She's like, yes, yes, I don't know. Yes, no, maybe. <laughs> um, and the family all look at each other like, what? Um, and then we go to the opening. So it is kind of happening before the canary's killed then, isn't it? Oh, yeah, fuck. Well, that, that puts that theory to, to bed. Well, I guess it's quite mild talking to the TV. It's not like... She's being actually traumatised at that point. Well, it's mild in the context of the film, but in the context... Like, if you start Yes, yes, okay. <laughs> if you better not start talking to the TV either. Um, you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> um, so then we go to the opening credits, which is just, like, this kind of, like, scenes of, like, the... I don't know what it's called, like, the, the residential plots that they're all living in. Um, and it's all quite kind of, like, samey houses, lots of children playing, and quite kind of um, normative-looking, like, yeah, you know, white sort of like, suburbia. Yeah. Um, and um, and we focus on this guy who's, like, cycling along with some beer cans, and he rushes in, and then there's, like, a group of lads all watching the big game. Um, and... Um, and they're just all screaming at the TV and having a lol. And then there's a whole to-do with the neighbour. His, his remote control turns their remote control TV because it's too close. <laughs> oh. um, Hashtag 80s problems, yeah. am I right? So then we see the mum going into Carol's room <laughs> um, and noticing the bird's dead. And he goes, she goes, Tweety, couldn't you have waited for a school day? <laughs> Why? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, she could have flushed it in pieces. Yes, and then she's like, uh, actually, we never see them go to school, do we? Anyway, whatever. Um, so, um, mum gets caught trying to flush Tweety down the toilet <laughs> by Carol, who's wearing a, a, a kind of fetching red cord dungaree set. Um, You're quite taken by... Uh... Yeah, she has quite a lot of iconic outfits. <laughs> um, uh, so, Tweety gets a little funeral, 
Um, and, um, and it's all very laborious to say, she doesn't like the smell. Like, here, you put licorice in there and, like, puts a little flower in there and stuff, and then buries Tweety. On a little blanket. Yeah. Um, if she gets cold. <laughs> um, and then they bury her, and then, like, the moment the funeral's over, she's sort of crying, like, can I get a goldfish now? <laughs> um, we then cut to mom in bed smoking a doobie. Yeah, disgusting. Um, which is weird, smoking indoors and a doobie and a being and a And a doobie of all things. Um, a so bed she, doobie. Yeah, and she finishes that doobie and then immediately starts skinning up another doobie. Um, <laughs> they're having weird 80s lols, which is quite hard to follow. Just don't really know what they're on about. Um, and um, in the meantime, in the other room, the... The son, uh, Robbie, is having a horrible time in his, his bed um, as he watches a storm through the window um, and there's a scary tree. And uh, Also, Robbie is the most bucktooth child I've ever seen. Um, uh, just as a, I need to, uh, I, need to I, I need to I have to say this. Um, yeah. I'm saving it. I'll mention it in the awards in Buckiest Teeth. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he's the, he's the second strangest child I've ever seen in a horror film. Uh, the first is the... Uh, the the Stephen King made version of The Shining, um, <laughs> which was like a TV film, which I actually really love, but not many people do. <laughs> um, and uh, the, yeah, the the child who plays Jack is the most unusual. Not Jack, was Danny is the most unusual looking child I've ever seen. Google him. Imagine but, if Jack was played by a child. <laughs> I'm a serial killer, scary dad <laughs> child. Uh, but he's got his teeth. Like when he, when you see him from the profile, yeah, it, it looks like a cartoon rabbit. I guess maybe yeah, he hadn't had any dental work or something. Well, anyway. Evidently not. There's um, only two teeth to work with. <laughs> <laughs> so um, he's having a horrible time with the storm, and also there's a scary clown. Uh, Did you mention the, the tree and the tree? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and uh, apparently that was taken from Steven, uh, Steven Spielberg's uh, own experience. He had a scary tree and a scary clown, um, <laughs> and um, so yeah. Um, and so then, like, uh, the storm's raging, and he, like, rushes into the parents' bedroom, and mum puts away the dupe, and, um, dad takes him back to the room, and, um, and then the, <laughs> Robbie says, it looks at me, and it knows I live here. Um, Is he talking about the tree or the clown? The tree. I was going to say, the clown definitely knows, because he lives there as well. Well, the tree also lives there, so... Mm. <laughs> Everyone, everyone knows there. about everyone who lives there. <laughs> um, and the dad does some kind of trying to calm them down a bit, but it ends up with all the kids scared and in the bed in the bed with the parents. Um, but not the teenage daughter. No, who is an irrelevant character who is very rarely on screen. Yeah. Um, the you wonder te- what the point of like you'd think during like a rewrite of the script you'd be like actually this character adds absolutely nothing. Yeah, like. Unless there were bits that were cut, and like there was a storyline that was cut for her, but she does seem mostly irrelevant. Yeah. Um, so all the kids are in bed, and then, uh, as is traditional in this film, the national anthem is playing, and um, and then um, all of a sudden it cuts to static. Um, at this point, uh, Caroline wakes up immediately and crawls down the bed to the TV, um, and uh, she's looking at this big like sort of scary wispy hand comes out of the TV and tries to snatch at her. Um, and, um, and it's kind of those, and then like the whole room feels this kind of like spirally kind of ghosty energy. And then it shoots with some kind of force into the back of the wall above the bed. And then there's a giant kind of earthquake. Um, and, uh, 
Dickie the family will wake up at this point and uh, Caroline goes, they're here. <laughs> um, so next morning, uh, mum, they're all like pottering around having breakfast. Uh, mum's like, last night, when you said they were here, who did you mean? And Caroline said, the TV people. Um, and the son picks up his fork and spoon and notices they're all bent. Um, mum leaves the kitchen and comes back. And when she comes back, all the chairs are pulled out. Mm. Um, and, uh, she's like, who's done this? And, uh, she goes, the TV people. And kind of goes, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then mum leans onto the sink to get something, like a cleaning thing. And when she comes back, the chairs are all stacked into a pyramid shape. Apparently that was filmed real time, and, like, the cast and crew all came in and, like, quickly just, like, Whoa. yeah, like, did the pyramid. <clears throat> it should be just much easier. I know. No <laughs> different effect. <laughs> just to be like, we'll pause this and just do it carefully <laughs> yeah. and responsibly. Um, so, yeah, she goes, TV people, and Carl goes, yaha. <laughs> um... <laughs> And, um, so then dad gets home and, um, and mom's out in the drive, like hysterical, like drags him in, like demented, be like, I have to show you something. Oh my God. It's so exciting. Um, and, uh, she's got all these like drawings all over the floor, like circles and lines and stuff, like, and, um, with arrows pointing and she goes, you have to watch this, watch this. And, um, she puts a chair on the floor on the, on the circle and then it slowly starts to move and picks up pace and just slides all the way across into the other circle. And she jumps up and down and like screams like a kind of excited cheerleader. <laughs> and, um, uh, the dad's just like, what? And then she puts, uh, Carol Ann in like a football helmet on the thing and just like <laughs> slides her across as well. And the dad grabs her just before she slams into the wall. Um, <laughs> yeah. and it's sort of so weird that like you don't really see this in like other films, I think, where like something supernatural is happening and like people are excited. Yeah. Like, woo, this is so cool. <laughs> Um, and she says, like, it's like another side of nature, a side we don't understand. Don't overreact. It's like, uh. It's, it's like my instinct would be, well, these are. There's building work going on, and the floor seems to be sinking. <laughs> <laughs> or I just feel like it's a ghost, and I'm very scared, and we should leave the house immediately. Um, I guess we all deal with that differently. Yeah, you'd be like, oh, the building work. <laughs> you'd be the dad, and I'd be the hysterical, correct wife. Um, and um, uh, so there's another storm, uh, as is tradition, also in this house. Um, <laughs> this time, Robbie's looking out the window at the tree. And, uh, and it actually comes to life, uh, and, uh, grabs him, like, smashes through the window with, like, tree hands. Um, <laughs> it's so ridiculous. And then just, like, and, like, it's, like, throwing him around, and there's, like, all, like, most of the family run outside to try and save him, but Carol Ann's still in bed. And, uh, and while, uh, they're all, like, dealing with that, you see, like, a kind of tornado that's, like, it's made of sort of black energy. Like in the background, and um, yeah, while Caroline's in the room, the the uh, the closet starts glowing, and it's kind of like strange white lights coming out of it, and uh, the whole room is just slowly being sucked uh, into the closet, and then more ferociously being sucked into the closet, um, and she's like hanging onto the headboard, like screaming, um, and. Um, Eventually, she does get sucked in, and uh, then the, all the beds and stuff collapse over the, the door. 
Meanwhile, a dad climbs up into the tree, and Robbie's, like, halfway being eaten by the, the tree, and he pulls them out, and then they like, go inside, and then they're just like, oh my god, that was so crazy! And they're, like, saying it's to do with the the tornado, I think, at that point. They're like, yes, trees do that. <laughs> the <laughs> they trees become do get hungry. <laughs> yeah. um, You know what I think is especially strange about this film? I wonder if it's because it was kind of... It was before a lot of the tropes about the haunted house had been, like, established. So there's no, like, build-up. There's no slow discovery. There's no, like, what could this be? It must be the pipes. It's just like, oh, look, there's a supernatural thing happening. Our child's being eaten by a tree and the doctor's being (laughs) consumed by the cupboard. Well, we won't tell the police because we know it must be some supernatural thing. Yeah. There's no, like, kind of build-up. Yeah. Um... And there's also no disbelief, really, at any point. Yeah, it is it is really weird. I think the fact that they don't go to the police is very weird. Um, but anyway, so so they, um, after saying Robbie, they go inside and they realise that Caroline's gone and they look around all over the house and um, they even uncover, like, <laughs> what they think is her body and they all look horrified. Like, there's a blanket and then they pull the blanket back and it's just this stinky old clown. And then they do this big, like, kind of laugh, like, ah, <laughs> it's like, well, she's still missing me. Yeah, I know, there's like a little <laughs> moment of levity. Um <laughs> And um, and then Robbie's left, like, in uh, the parents' room with the TV on static and can hear Carol Ann and starts getting hysterical, like, screaming. And the mum comes in and hears Carol Ann's voice and is just like, Oh, my God, thank God you're here. Uh, and uh, and she's just, like, realises it's coming from the TV and she's like, Uh-oh, that's no good. This is no good. Yeah. Um, so... Oh yeah, I forgot there's a bit actually when they're searching for the dad does a hilarious death drop into the empty pool um, to try and find <laughs> yeah. her. Um, yeah, so, the, yeah, the empty pool is like a recurring concern of the mother. Mm. About like, what if she, you know, Falls, the kids fall in or yeah. wander in. It's just like, well, I'm not sure how that's any more or less dangerous than having a full pool there. That's true. Like, I wouldn't want my child to fall into a full swimming pool mm. either. Or having a teleportation uh, circle from the floor of your house. <laughs> yeah, I guess pick your battle. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, actually, the mum is like, here's Caroline, she's like, I can't see you, mummy, where did you go? Uh, so the next scene, uh, Dad's in an office uh, talking to some university peeps. Um, and, uh, and it's like this kind of like woman wearing this kind of, uh, amazing Deirdre Rashid glasses, um, and these two, two fellas who are her assistants and they're like kind of very skeptical and they're like, Oh, you, you want to get publicity? Have you spoken to the press about this? Have you like called the police? And he's like, no, none of that. I just, uh, I just want my little girl back. Um, and she's like, like well, you- yes, these are some ways that you can <laughs> maybe go about it. <laughs> yes. Um, and, uh, so she's like, would you be okay with us coming to investigate? And he's like, yep. Um, so <laughs> they start, they're in the house and they're doing a tour and they go up to Caroline's room and they're just like, we keep this room locked. Um, and, uh, <laughs> it's the, uh so then the professionals just like, look, there's nothing we haven't seen. There was this like amazing, uh, poltergeist activity where I recorded a toy slowly going across the floor for, Seven hours. Yes. 
It was kind of quite impressive. It, its movement was invisible to the naked eye. Yeah, and then he uh, he goes like, okay, and he opens the door, and it's like chaos, like pure chaos. It's like the toys are like alive and like flying around in the air, and it's like a big whirlpool of like kind of crazy stuff just flying. It in reminds the air. me of two things. One thing where. Um, Mary Poppins cleans the bedroom with the kids. <laughs> yeah. And also the bit from Sword in the Stone where he packs his bag, the Merlin packs his bag with a spell and all of his furniture flies into his bag and he goes, hickety hockety pickety puck. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly like that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and then, um, so then they, it cuts to them downstairs, like, um, like having a chat and, uh, the Dr. Leash or Lash, um, who's the woman, the Dirty Glasses woman, mm. um, it's like, it's uncertain if it's a haunting. <laughs> as her hand is shaking as she's trying to pour the coffee. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, and she puts the kettle down, it slides across the table. <laughs> um, but she, and then she says, it could be a poltergeist or a haunting. Um, uh, and, uh, they're like, okay. Um, like it matters really. (laughs) Um, and so, uh, they then turn on the TV to try and contact Caroline. Um, and, uh, uh, the mum's like, can you say hello to daddy? And, um, and she goes, hello daddy. (laughs) And he goes, hi sweetie. Um, and, um, and then she's like, mommy, I can't find my way out. Um, and then, uh, all of a sudden there's this kind of like weird electrical static sort of like thing happening on the roof of the living room. And all of these random items fall out. Um, and it's stuff like, like, uh, watches and random bits of jewelry and stuff. Um, and then they're like, and then they hear Carol saying, mommy, somebody's coming, help me. And then they hear like running through the actual house. Um, and the mum's on the stairs, and uh, she like gets. She looks like she's had a giant fart on her because she goes. <laughs> oh yeah. And then she goes. She just moved through me. I can smell her. The giant fart. <laughs> um. So, uh, <laughs> well, they've got all their equipment set up, and most of the family are asleep. One of the te- the tech guys. I think his name is Marty. Um, goes to mit- so Marty. He's like, I'm going to go make something to eat, which like I find really hilarious. It's like it's not his house, and he just starts raiding the fridge. But maybe if they were staying all night, the the mother would have said, "Just help, help yourself, kids." Um, well, yeah, he helps himself to a giant like pre-made bit of steak, which he just slops out on the kitchen <laughs> yeah, oh, counter. Yeah, that, that is a bit much. <laughs> um, and he's eating this kind of chicken uh, leg. And, um, he suddenly notices that the steak is, like, sliding along the counter like a little slug. Oh. It's kind of cute, I think. Well, it, at this point, it <laughs> yeah. is. Yeah. Um, and then it gets to the end of the counter, and it's suddenly... I think he he flashes a light on it or something, and then oh. all of a sudden it's like... And it's like, all of its, like, meaty guts fly out. Like, yeah. it becomes minced beef from the inside out. Um... And so, and then he drops the chicken leg and he looks down and he notices it's all covered in maggots. Um, so he runs to the sink, um, 
uh, the downstairs sink, I don't know where it is, but um, it's like in a closet or something. And the lights are all weird, like kind of orangey yellow and kind of changing. And um, as he's washing his hands, he's, he starts noticing his face has gone a bit weird. And uh, he starts like touching and, and like picking at it. And then just like chunks of his face just start falling off into the sink. And it's like, he's like screaming and it's just like really gruesome. Yeah, this um, is also the first indication and maybe the only indication that this is not a children's film. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... Um, and so yeah, then then suddenly there's like a flash and he's back to normal. Um, so um, in the living room, uh, the camera is slowly turning. I don't know if it's meant to be like supernatural or whether it has some kind of sensor on it, but it's slowly turning towards the stairs. Um, and then all the meters are going crazy, and um, and this like uh, and then they like wake up, and he comes back from the kitchen, and uh, this white kind of wiggly light figure that's kind of like a scary fairy, kind of appears at the top <laughs> of the You're stairs. A scary fairy. Thank you. Um, and uh, then the house is suddenly really windy, and everything's like flying around, and then it disappears. Um, they they go to roll back the footage and they see it's not just like one figure it's like loads of like people like walking down the stairs like a procession of people like wearing hats and stuff um, are they wearing hats yeah i thought they were just kind of like quite abstract figures no you can see i think hats abstract figures abstract feet, hats. hats yes <laughs> Um, and it's actually an allusion to the second film where it's like talks about all the people who are buried under the house, like trapped under the house, actually, because um, they all look like that. Um, so uh, wait, in the second film, yeah, it can't be centered around the house, can it? Uh, well, yes. Well, it's not. Basically, it is, but it's because they've it's latched onto Caroline, so they've moved. Oh, I see. Um, but yeah, it's that that um, the beast that they refer to in this film is the preacher. Um, and so, yeah, the preacher comes to try and find her again in the second one. Anyway, um, so, uh, so the dad's boss, uh, comes to check on him. Um, I think it's like the next day, by the way. Um, and, um, and he says, oh, he's still sick with a stomach bug. Um, and, uh, and he's like, oh, well, as long as you're not planning on leaving or anything. And he looks at all the equipments around the house. It's like, you've got quite a setup here. I don't know what he thinks he's doing, but yeah, anyway. Uh, and he's like, oh, I, I, I insist on taking you for a drive. Uh, and um, Also, we find out that they still haven't told anyone about Caroline missing and they're pretending that she's sick. Yeah. Um, so um, so he drives him up uh, to the top of a hill that overlooks all the, the, old, the old development area. It's like, it's like, can you imagine your living room just being here and then... Doors here and blee blee blee, and it's like what? He's like, yes, the new development will be here, overlooking the 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 old development, and um, and then he says, like, well, what will you do with all of this? And he turns around, there's like a huge like cemetery, like going back miles. Uh, it was and he's like, oh, we've already made arrangements to move the cemetery. Um, he said, and it also mentions that they'd already done it with the old development. Mm. Um, oh yeah, I don't, I came up in my, in my research as well that this is actually based on a real thing that happened. The, 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 the some people developed on some housing and they didn't move the bodies, they just left the gravestones. Oh. Um, it wasn't the ghost bit, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's also a bit where he says here where he, um, he's like, oh yeah, don't worry, it wasn't an Indian burial, burial ground or anything. 
Yeah, and it's weird because it, like, when I was reading about it, I can't remember, but there is, like, some kind of Native American kind of type burial ground tie-in um, to it, but like, I think it's something, it's very strange. Anyway. There isn't. No. This will come in. Oh, in your story. In my story okay. later. <laughs> um, and we're now back at the house, and everyone's standing around, like, kind of, like, in reverence, almost, as, uh we see a superstar icon, Zelda Rubenstein, a.k.a. Tangina Barons, enter the room. Um, And uh, she's got, like, a tiny little beehive and these amazing, like, tinted glasses and a lovely silk little dress and a white purse. Um, (laughs) And a little white pocketbook. Yeah. (laughs) And she's like, Draw mind hanging back, you're jamming my frequencies. (laughs) (laughs) If you haven't seen this film, I can't stress enough what an angel sent from heaven (laughs) Zelda Rubenstein is. (laughs) She is iconic, and her voice is, like, so cute. Yeah. Um, And she just, like, she's funny, um, she just suddenly scurries up the stairs. And um, at this point, the dad's being a bit of a cunt, if I'm being honest, like taking the piss out of her and calling her a munchkin and stuff. And it's like laughing at her. And everyone's like, why are you being a dick? He's like, why is she so tiny? It's just like, fuck off. Um, And um, and so then she shouts down and says, "Um, why is this door locked, Mr. Freelang? Um, and the dad doesn't answer at first, and they're like, why aren't you answering? <laughs> I love this line. So. Um, and, uh, it's just like, you know, it's like, oh, well, if she's into a psychic, I answered psychically, so she should have heard, and she's like, she goes something like, oh, she goes something like, I did hear you, I just don't like trick questions, Mr. Freeling. <laughs> but before that is my favourite line, which is when he doesn't answer, and she says, am I speaking to the living? Yeah! <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> Um, yes, um, and she says, so she goes back downstairs, her, uh, her assessment is that her, the, your daughter is still alive and in this house. Um, she's sort of like, imagine, just for those of you, <laughs> I'm so obsessed, <laughs> if, if you, if you're not familiar with her, imagine Truman Capote, <laughs> but like... A, a little cuter, fluffier version yes. with a really high voice. <laughs> so, <cute. laughs> um, so she then says to the mum that you've got to be strong um, and uh, you'll have to do anything I ask. Um, Even if it goes against your beliefs as a human or a Christian. Um, <laughs> and she explains that the dead are attracted to Caroline's lifelight. Um, and so they can't cross over because she's distracting them from the real light, the, the, the land of salvation. Um, uh, she says there's a terrible presence, um, with her and it's, uh, strong enough to punch a hole into this world. And that's how she got her. Um, and she says to her, it's a child to us. It's the beast. Um, <laughs> now let's go get your daughter. Um, and, um, and she says, like, call her. Um, and she says, like, clear your mind. It knows what scares you. Um, you know who you uh, sound like. I was trying to think. It's not true with Capote that you sound like. It's, uh, it's Beverly Leslie after the grace. Why, thank you. (laughs) Daddy, watch me twirl. (laughs) Daddy, I'm twirling. (laughs) <laughs> um, 
so she walks into the bandit room. But they're doing this kind of like experiment where they've got like tennis balls marked with numbers and they throw them through to check that they come through into the lounge. Um, and all three of them do. Um, she says, tell her not to go into the light um, as she throws the rope through. Like, originally Tangina, or sorry, Tangina wants to go in. And she's like, <laughs> and then she goes like, you've never done this before. And the mum goes like, uh, no, Tangina says. And then the mum goes, neither of you. And she goes, oh yeah, you go. <laughs> um, and so then, they, then the mum is tied with the rope and it goes through down to the lounge so they, and they've got like the, the slack and um, and uh, the husband she's like to the husband um, Steve don't let go and he goes never um, oh, and a beautiful moment yeah and uh, she uh, she goes in like into the light and at this point um, Tangina's saying like Crossover children, all are welcome. Peace and light. And the dad's freaking out. He's like, wait, you told him not to go to the light. Ugh. And starts pulling on the rope. And she's like, it's too soon, Mr. Freeling. <laughs> um, and, um, and as he's pulling, like this giant like skull head comes out of the closet and like screams at him. Um, and uh, on the other end of things, uh, down in the lounge... Um, uh, they actually fall, like, uh, Carol Ann and the mum fall out of the ceiling. And they're in the lounge and they're all covered in pink slime. Um, and they're like, get into the bathroom, we must get water on them. There's not really any explanation for why the water will help, but there we go. Well, I guess it'll wash the slime off. Yeah, might as well. <laughs> it is disgusting. <laughs> disgusting. Um and uh, they're in the bathtub and they both like, look like they're dead but then they slowly wake up and then she's like, Dad! like Karen's like, Daddy! <laughs> she looks really cute. And, um, and so then... why is she so pleased to see Daddy? It's Mummy that went in there. To <laughs> exactly, <her>. you bitch. <laughs> um, and then um, there's a weird funny bit where like um, the camera crew like set up like a shot of uh, Tangina and her like beehives a little bit disheveled from all the windy supernatural activity, and she puts her hands on her hips and she like well and she like adjusts her beehive and then she goes, "This house is clean." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, if she was alive today, she would be a guest judge on RuPaul's Drag Race, wouldn't she? <laughs> oh my god. Um, so, um, next scene, they're all packing the house up, it's daylight, and they're all packing into boxes, and, um, and she, yeah, they're just like, and they talk about how, like, um, Caroline doesn't remember anything, um, and the mum has these kind of, like, weird white streaks in her hair, I guess, from being to the other side, and she says, so the, the teenage daughter is there then, uh, so it's like, I think it looks kind of punk rock, um, and, um, I like it. I wouldn't have. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah. So then the dad has to go to work. Um, and he's like, oh, um, yeah, you shouldn't have to sleep in the house tonight. Like, we should go. Um, but like, if I don't get back in time, obviously put the kids to bed and then we'll go when I get back. Um, so then cut to the evening where I think this is silly, but I think they should have just left. But I guess they thought the house was clean. Anyway. So, um Well, I mean I would I would trust Zelda with my life, to be honest. Yeah. Well she she didn't actually do a very good job this time, which is sad. Um well, so, she got the daughter back. Oh yeah, that's true. 
<laughs> Don't you besmirch, lovely Tangina. Um, oh, yeah, there was like an original idea for the film that um, Carol Ann was going to die. <laughs> it was going to be the ghost that they were talking to. Oh. Anyway, it didn't happen. Um, so, uh, so it cuts to uh, the kids going to bed and Robbie's tries to throw something again to cover the clown because he hates it. Um, unsuccessfully this time. Um, but then they try to go to sleep. Caroline hugs her doll and the, the head falls off. It's so a bit weird. Yeah, she yeah. just gently rests it back on. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, Mum's having a lovely bath. Uh, you thought she was going to finger herself for some reason. But, um, <laughs> and, That's what uh, I do in the bath. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, and uh, Ma- Robbie, so, uh, meanwhile, notices that the clown has gone from the chair. He um, he's like, um, and he looks under the bed, which is something I would literally never do. Like, no, I don't. Yeah, literally never. I, I couldn't bear it. Um, but when he gets back up, um, the clown is behind him and starts strangling him, in the, and it's got like a really evil face, and it's like. Um, and it pulls them onto the bed. Um, mum is, has finished her bath and hasn't bothered to check on the kids at any juncture for some reason. Um, despite and, them all having just, uh, come out the other end of a terrible haunting. Yeah. Um, and, um, and the ghost tries to, like, pull her, like, top up, um, and you get a little flash of her knickers. I was gonna say knickknacks, I don't know what that is. Um, <laughs> and, um, and then this is kind of, it's quite a cool scene, actually. She's, like, basically thrown around on the ceiling and then onto the walls and all around all over the place, like, um, a bit like that Jamaraquai video, but cooler. Um, cooler than even Jamaraquai? I know. <laughs> it's hard, but I think she did it. Yeah, meanwhile, uh, it then cuts to Robbie who's actually got the better of the clown somehow and is like ripping the innards out of it. And, uh, and the, 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 it was like fluffy innards. It's not like Stuffing. gore. Yeah. Um, and, um, and then the closet goes all weird again and it starts like glowing and then there's like orange tentacles and slime kind of like coming out the edges. Um, mum's trying to get into the room. But there's some kind of weird, spooky, like, lanky skeleton thing with hair, like, just kind of floating around in front of the door and screaming at her. You see, she, I think, I got, I, don't, I get confused about this bit, because for some reason she then goes outside. I guess maybe she's trying to find another way into the room or something from outside. Um, Isn't she just going to get her neighbours to call oh, the police? Oh, maybe. She goes and like, bangs on the fence and shouts for them, doesn't she? Oh, yeah, they come out and they're like, oh, what's happening? Oh, I don't know, I guess it's none of my business. Um, she then falls into the, um, the the pool and at this point all the skeletons start coming up out of the water and she's like screaming. Yeah, it's an empty it's pool just... but it's been raining and it's muddy so like there's yeah. some muddy Yeah, so then all discharge. the skeletons muddy discharge. <laughs> um, and then, um, so yeah, so then like all the, the skeletons are like actually like popping out of the ground, like pushing out and including like some just bodies, some like coffins and, uh, she gets, she manages to stop her way all the way up to the top of the pool. And then she tries to get up and she ends up sliding all the way back down. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it's like, it's like a, a contestant on Takechi's castle. Getting out of the pool, finally. And, um, going up the stairs. Because and... the neighbours come and help. Do they help her out of the pool? 
Yes. Oh, okay. I don't remember that bit. Um, <laughs> she gets upstairs and she sees, like, it's happening again. That they're, like, being sucked into the, the closet. And she manages to do some kind of amazing, like, trapeze work, like, artistry, where they get them all to hold hands and then pulls them out of the room. Um, then they come downstairs and the dad's back. And um, all the coffins are literally exploding out of the floor everywhere, like, in the kitchen and, like, in the lounge and by the front door. And... Um, and I don't know why the boss is there. I guess he drove him back after, like, saying he was going to quit. Um, yeah. And uh, and he says, like, he screams the dad, screams the boss, like, You move the cemetery, but not the bodies. You move the headstones, but not the bodies. Um, <laughs> I and don't know then, why you've got, like, French-Canadian. <laughs> I just have. Another scene randomly featuring the teenage daughter here is her on the street. I, I don't know, maybe she's come back from... So it's up. it's mentioned that she's constantly staying with friends. Yeah. It's like, in which case, why have her? I know, and it's my favourite, like, random, like, bit where she's just standing on the street and it's just so classic her being so random. She just screams, WHAT'S HAPPENING?! <laughs> I don't feel like I know well enough to say that it's classica. <laughs> well, that's only just so, so random, just popping up and just being like, what's happening? It's like, exactly. If you'd been around, maybe you'd know. <laughs> yeah, it's actually none of your business. <laughs> you, <laughs> you don't, don't even, even go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they all escape out of the house and drive away. And um, all the neighbours have, like, come out into the street and, like, like there are, like... Like fires, like shooting out of the ground, and water pipes bursting everywhere, and then like um, they drive off, and the hat, like the boss guy, um, watches as the house just kind of like implodes in on itself. Luckily, apparently, they had to do that one that shot once, and it worked. Um, it was a tiny model um, that they made to implode mm. in on itself. Um, but yes, anyway, um, so yeah, it implodes in on itself, and then it just like. Uh, goes into a white light and goes ping disappears and this is a completely empty lot <laughs> um, so the family drive away in the rain um, they end up yeah. I have a question go on so is it just that one house that happened to be buried over uh, no. buried bodies yeah no and um, actually there is a theory as to why it affects only them because the canary <laughs> no because Carol Ann was born in the house um, and so her life, her like life light or whatever, was stronger and sure. so, and tied to the house in some way. Sure. And so, yeah, that's that's the Fine. theory anyway. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, you know, you know, life flights and being yeah, born in and just like being born there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, fine. Um, the say no more. Um, <laughs> and um, so yeah, so then the, the family are like sodden and muddy and like just like slopping their way all, up all to a. Sodden. Uh, to a, a, a motel, a hotel inn, and a holiday inn, sorry. And, um, and they go into the room silently, they close the door, and then moments later so they push the TV outside and they close it again. Yeah, yeah. And that is the end of the film. Let's talk about representation. <laughs> um, so let's talk about women. 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 Go on. So I think the mum is the hero in this film. Yeah. 
That's true. Um, it's also centred on a little girl, as most poltergeist activity is. Yes. Although normally an older girl. Although also whether or not this is poltergeist activity leaves uh, a big question mark in my mind. Yes, yes. But also, I like that when uh, Mrs. Lesh, or Leech, or yeah. Leech, um, is like, I can't deal with this, I'm going to get someone else that can. It's another woman. Yes. Um, <clears throat> And Tangina is an icon. I don't oh, know if we've mentioned Tangina. that yet. Um, and it does. It doesn't follow the normal trope of the, the dad not believing. Although no. it does to an extent, because he doesn't really trust in Tangina. But that's kind of also him maybe being a little bit ableist and bullying. Yeah, I think I it is know. him being ableist. I think it's just that he can't understand this like tiny woman, basically mm. stupid. Yeah. I guess it's weird because I guess like she is so remarkable looking. You couldn't really have the film where she just was there and well, you could, couldn't you? She was there and nobody mentioned that she was tiny. Yeah. Um, I guess in those days it probably wouldn't. Have, everyone would just be like, um, "Excuse me." Yeah. But yeah. Um, but anyway. Um, but yeah, and as the the male characters aren't very kind of warm, apart from maybe. Ryan, the like tech not technician, what to call him, like medium's assistant. <laughs> he's kind of a technician as well, yeah. Um he's he's nice, but not really featured very much. Yeah. Um Yeah, no, it's more it's about the gals. Yeah. Except it's... for the teenage daughter. <laughs> yeah. Who you would think that a haunting would be based around, but yeah. she's too busy being redundant. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, I think it's a good woman film Yes, I do, actually um, Shall we speak about people of colour? Yes So I think we only have one Yes And his name is Ryan Yes And he is one of the two Sort of helpers Spirit tech <laughs> yeah. Um And he seems nice and is fine and is in it But is quite an unremarkable character really Apart from being quite handsome yeah, um, it's nice that he's like obviously he works at the university. And he's quite obviously technic, like he's like nice, skilled, about, like, very like, <clears throat> skilled technically. Um, yeah, um, and yeah. also he's the he's the nicer of the two. Yeah, people Marty kind of help himself to, to a steak food. and a chicken leg. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, otherwise very white film. Yeah, um, but I guess it's this kind of like. Small town suburbia sort of yeah. environment, um, which was would probably be quite white. Yeah, yeah. That's it, really. So disability. Um, I guess the only, and I had to look up whether or not this was a disability or not. Mm. Uh, is uh, like little people. Yeah, and apparently it is, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not really a thing, apart from some of the comments that the dad makes about her. Yeah. Um, but she is, like, she's the kind of saviour. She's the, or at least sort of. Um, she's kind of the most powerful character, really, in terms yeah. of understanding and directing how to make everything happen. Like, she comes in and just sort of fixes, well, sort of fixes, but like does the majority of the fixing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just kind of thinking about little people in films in the 80s and like what I remember from growing up and the only thing I really remember is the film Willow. Yeah, I was going to um, say Willow. Which was 1988, so six years after this. 
And like, yeah, the whole cast pretty much are little people and there's a whole range of like, some of them are awful, some of them are lovely, some of them are heroes, blah, blah, blah. But they are kind of playing these kind of like fantasy, like dwarf characters. Whereas in this we're seeing... Well, also you've got Willy Wonka. Uh, oh, yeah. Before that, which is what, terrible what, representation. When was that? 71. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't realise it was that early. Um, yeah, and also there's like a weird sort of like racialized awfulness yeah, yeah, about yeah. them as well. But the, uh, yeah, so she she isn't playing a short person, is she? She's playing a, a like powerful medium who's, who's yeah. she's there because of her skills yeah. and her talents, not because she's a short person. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and also at the time she was like a, a prominent activist in that, or she used her platform from this yes. to be a prominent activist for yeah, yeah. Um, short people. So yeah, I think it's probably great representation. It is, I think, um, and she is an icon, as we, as we know. And like, yeah, she's play, She's kind of like a character actress, so she, she would play like kind of odd characters. Yeah. But it's because, it's not just because she's a little person. Like, she she has an oddness about it, yeah. doesn't she? Um, Yes, yeah, so I think that's good. Yeah, um, agreed. Any queer representation? No. So do you want to hear my... Go cl- on, go on. My clunky reading. Yes, please. Which is about the uh, the closet as the epicenter oh. of oh. household trauma. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yes, I, 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 I don't care to embellish any further. Oh, okay, I was going to be more. <laughs> but the, the closet is canonically yes. gay. Yes, and um, it eats her all up. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I'm well, sure that, that I'm, means. <laughs> I'm sure someone with more energy could come up with a cleverer reading than that. But <laughs> there you have trapped it. the LGBTQ scene. <laughs> have to fish her out. <laughs> Where she hangs out with all the clowns. <laughs> Well, that was brief. Shall we do the awards? Sure thing, hun. Would you like to lead? No, this time oh. you. Um. Ah. Awardsy, 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 awards. Oh, I love that one. Yeah, it really went places. Yeah, <laughs> places I didn't know we could go. Um, Okay, so who is your favourite character? I know that we always choose random people, but... Are you choosing Tangina? Yes. You're not allowed to? Okay. That's not how I this game works. Tweety, then. <laughs> <laughs> so mine's Tangina. <laughs> no, mine's also Tweety. <laughs> uh, spoopiest bit? I think probably the bit where his face all comes off. It's like really the only kind of horror bit, like truly kind of gruesome horror bit in it. Yeah, I think that is definitely the most gruesome bit and the most kind of horror filmy bit. But there's there, there are two other thing parts. One where I actually got a fright, even yeah. though I was expecting it, which is when the clown is behind him on the bed. That's jumpy. Yeah. And I expect for the time that was probably quite scary. Well, yeah, it's it, like the clown is like um, one of the things that people talk about still, like when they reference the film, they talk about that clown. It's like, I think at the time it probably was super scary. Actually, yeah. I was listening to a podcast episode, maybe if you're wrong about, and there was an episode about killer clowns oh. and about 
um, you know, a few years ago where there was that thing going around where there was like people were seeing clowns and like, yeah. and they were talking about like the origin of the clown being like a figure of fear rather than a figure of like fun. And they referenced this as one of the earliest depictions of the clown as like an evil thing. Um, and that's maybe why it's stuck in people's mind, but it might have like shaped a lot of people's ideas about spoopy clowns. clowns. Um, and then the other bit, which I think is that it's not scary, but it's actually really, really dark is when they go into the closet and see the clown with the sheet covering it and think it's that it's the four year old girl's dead dead body. Um, I didn't remember that when we watched it. It Uh, is a really weird detail. I was a bit like, oh, yeah. Um, But then it's the clown and they all have a big laugh about it, but. Yeah, I think, um, just as an aside, there was, like, from what I was reading in terms of the sort of conflict between, um, the two directors, that it was, well, not the two directors officially, but, um, Spielberg and, uh, Toby, 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 um, <laughs> was the, um, Toby, um, <laughs> wanted to go really scary and, uh, Steven Spielberg wanted to make it PG. Um, and so, ah. so, yeah, I think there's some sort of struggle there between I the also two. think that makes sense. Because I I was saying the whole way through, like, this is like a family film yeah, yeah. Uh, with a few scary bits in. And it it that's the most Spielberg thing about it, I think, yeah. is it's got that kind of, like, you can almost imagine, like, as a child watching it with your parents, if it wasn't for, like, his face falling off and those bits. Yeah. But, um... Well, what film did you say uh, Toby Hooper did? Texas Chainsaw, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Massacre. I mean, well, so there's going to be a conflict. <laughs> like, uh, there's going to be a uh, conflict there, isn't there? Um, so, uh, funniest bit... Uh, I, I just put Tangina because I think she's iconic, but, um, yeah, just everything about her. Yeah, I think two lines in particular. Um, y'all mind hanging back, you jamming my frequency. <laughs> and also, am I talking to the living? <laughs> yeah, that she's really good. so good. Um, so best death and worst death. There is only one death and it's, it's Tweety Burb. Um, That's right. So well done. Two awards for Tweety Bird. <laughs> well, three actually, because <laughs> they're also the best character. Oh yes. Um, so queerest moment. I guess I just off the top of my head, maybe the closet. Yeah, <laughs> as, as the epicenter of household trauma, for example. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think there is really. And sexiest character. I really kind of fancy the dad, you know. Oh, I... Uh, <laughs> disgusting. Disgusting. You're going to say the mum, aren't you? No. Oh, who? Ryan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fine, fine, fine. Um, yeah, a, a jawline to die for. Yeah. He's, he's also well-dressed as well. Um, <laughs> he wears that, like, um, Dennis the Menace t- top, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. Um, yeah, he's, yeah, he's a cutie. But yeah, I fancy the dad. It's weird because it's like, I specifically really fancied the dad in the second film because there's this really like grotesque scene where he becomes like an alcoholic to try and deal with the, the haunting. And, um, he's well, You throws... do like people with a lot of baggage, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> but like, something about that scene where he's all like drunk and terrifying, really like. Oh, Alex, this is unhealthy. I know, and now I've said it out loud, I'm a bit like. <laughs> so we both agree it's Ryan. <laughs> uh, so, how many pumpkins do you award this? Uh, it, I I give it a four. I just I love it so much, and it's weird because like if if you were to like watch it now, I don't know if it would have the same kind of impact. So I don't know. What do you think? It's a funny one for me because it wasn't a film in my childhood at all. It was probably a bit too 
it probably came out at the wrong time for it to be, or maybe I arrived at the wrong time <laughs> for it to be like part of the kind of like cultural zeitgeist of horror stuff right. when I was born. So I was born 86. Yeah. Um, so the first time I watched it was maybe like five or six years ago with you. Oh. And it didn't really stick with me at all. And I wasn't really looking forward to watching it again. But then mm. when we did, I did enjoy it. But I, I, I yeah, I, I guess I am the person who's seen it, re- who saw it for the first yeah. time recently. And it didn't blow me away. I think it's really fun. I think Tangina is great. Yes. Um, and she's worth the price of pumpkins. <laughs> um, she's worth her weight in pumpkins. <laughs> which is probably two pumpkins. She's more than <laughs> um, So I'll give it three and a half because I think it's yeah. good and I think it's important. I think it's better when you know all the backstory and about like the 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 skeletons in the pool and that sort yeah. of stuff. And I think there's enough in it for it to be a really fun film. I'm not sure I think it's a great horror film. Yeah. But I, I think it, it's an important horror film. It's funny, actually, because I was remembering, I saw, like, um, the BFI, they did this kind of interview, like, uh, with Alice Cooper um, about his favourite horror films, and he named Poltergeist as his favourite horror. And you could see all the, like, real horror nerds in the, like, the audience, like, really, like, gasping and clutching their pearls, like, mm. you can't say that film! Um, and I was like, I thought it was quite kind of cool. It's like, um, I don't know, like, it's... It's strange. I think it's kind of like, it is quite kind of fantasy um, horror, almost. Um, and I don't really think you get that much of that. Like. Yeah, I also don't, I don't know where it, f- not that every film has to, but I don't know where it fits in the genre of yeah. horror. Because, like, my favourite genre is a haunted house. And it's not a haunted house, really. It, I think it's a bit too fantastical for that. Yeah, it's like, and I guess, like, in terms of, like, it, like, if you think about what he wants to do, which is, like, an alien film and, like, a sci-fi film, if you make, like, sci-fi elements into ghost elements, you would probably get this film, essentially, where it's kind of, like, the fantastical is kind of, like, very kind of, like, showy and, like, mm. yeah, like, the horror's all kind of, kind of, like, kind of, like, pow, pow, pow. Yeah, because, um, yeah, like, I mean, like, some of it, like, this, the tree, it just, like, kills me. Like, it's just too stupid. Um, and I, I uh, feel like I would have rolled my eyes if that was on Goosebumps. Yes. <laughs> um, and, like, the, the weird skeleton that's, like, that scares her away from the door looks ridiculous. Um, like, so, and the big skull that comes out of the, like, the skull head that comes out of the wardrobe. Or the closet, sorry. Um, uh, like to scream at him. It's like, scream. It's like, honey! Hey, queen! <laughs> you trying to pull me? Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it, those bits are a bit too, like, like, you know, like we would say, like, horror's always best when you kind of don't see that much and it's mm. into that and it's quite, whereas this is very, like, yeah, it's like a kind of, like, like a ghost train almost. Just kind of like yeah, that kind of vibe. that's a good way of saying it. The Yeah, I, I think it's like, it's a Spielberg film first yeah. and a horror film second. Yeah. Um, but it is lots of fun. So three and a half pumpkins for uh, me. Uh, 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 okay, well done, Poltergeist. Well, well done, everyone, but especially Tangina. Who gets a hundred pumpkins. A hundred pumpkins, R.I.P. <laughs> It's time for spooky bit <laughs> So once again for my spooky bit, I feel like I've maybe 
It's baby being missold to call it the spoopy bit. It's more the interesting bit again. What is wrong with you? <laughs> no. So, well, I fell down a bit of a rabbit hole because I didn't want to actually, tell another. Okay. <laughs> no, actually. <laughs> Did the rabbits get you? Yeah. So oh. this is just about the rabbits. The like spirits in the rabbit hole. <laughs> so I didn't want to uh, to tell another story about poltergeist, although there are loads. But I feel like we've done quite a lot of those recently. We have. So instead, I was more interested in this idea of it being built on a burial ground because mm. one line that really stuck out to me in this is where the the like uh, uh, sort of development manager or whatever says very specifically that it's not built on an Indian burial ground. Yeah, and I kind of got myself into a bit of a rabbit hole about where this trope of the Indian burial burial ground comes from, and it's probably one of the most like recurring things that you hear in horror. It's yeah. like, oh, it was built in an Indian burial ground. Um, and often that trope is misattributed to poltergeist, even though oh. it very uh, explicitly says that it's not built on a native burial ground, and you assume it's like a Christian burial ground or something. Um, so <clears throat> I got looking into this, and it was, it was very, very interesting. That is um, so, <laughs> um, and lots of the kind of critics of this trope, as you might imagine, are from uh, Native American communities. And uh, like, there are lots of problems with kind of just saying that this is an Indian, bur- Indian burial ground. Uh, first of all, the, the term Indian isn't really used now no. <laughs> anyway. But for the purpose of this, I will use it just because it's what yeah, the trope yeah. is called. But um, but not all indigenous, uh, sorry, not all uh, uh, native communities uh, even buried their dead. Um, and uh, many didn't assign much value or sentiment to the body. Oh. Um, and uh, I mean, basically, the, the the summary of this is that it's not a monoculture. <laughs> like, yeah, there are yeah. loads of different kind of tribes and communities and cultures. Um, uh, and there isn't... Um, the A lot of them were nomadic populations, so that where the bodies were buried wouldn't necessarily have any real meaning to them. Because uh, they were transient, moving, so yeah. There wouldn't necessarily be a whole ground. Yeah, and also, if someone dies when you're a transient community and you bury someone where you were, it's you're not going to be burying tens and tens of people at once. You're Hopefully just going to be burying not. one here and one there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, it, that's not to say that indigenous burial grounds didn't exist. Yeah, but it's there's it's more complicated than that. So. Although lots of people say it was Poltergeist that originated this, it's more likely, I would say, that it's Stephen King that is the reason why I this... I was thinking uh, that's where my mind went. He's kind of responsible for this trope's prevalence. Uh, so, uh, the the cemetery, in Pet Cemetery, yeah. is bu- is built on an Indian burial ground. And the Overlook Hotel in The Shining is also built on an Indian burial ground. Oh. In the book, that only gets a fleeting mention. And in the Kubrick film, have you seen the uh, the documentary Room 237? Yeah, yeah. So one of the theories is that there's lots of uh, symbols about Native Americans in The Shining and, and that the whole film is some sort of clever uh, sort of commentary on... Uh, colonialism uh, and okay. this sort of stuff. It's it's a bit of a reach, but everything in that documentary is, but it's well worth a watch. Yeah, um, yeah. The, uh, but it, on the, uh, in the Pet cemetery thing, it wasn't necessarily that it was built on Indian burial ground that it, that meant it had the powers to bring creatures back in, mm. uh, in kind of awful forms, but it was because of a, a Wendigo demon. 
um, yeah. which had made the ground sour. And the Windigo, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, is a demon that occurs in some uh, native uh, traditions. Um, and again, is apparently very kind of badly used and isn't really based on kind of the real law of sure. it very much. Um, but the trope is also often assigned to the Amityville horror, because in oh. the in the book about the case, which was written by Jay Anson, uh, it's claimed that the the house in Long Island that was lived in by the Defoes and later the Lutz families was built on an Indian burial ground. Um, this has since been challenged and debunked by Indigenous people who say that. So basically, the story is actually it wasn't. Uh, quite an Indian burial Indian burial ground. It was like a sanatorium that was uh filled with people from a particular tribe. But that tribe were never based there. That sanitarium never existed. Um so basically that's also a myth that just exists in the book. Oh, okay. Um which is supposed to be a, a true story. Um so the, this trope mostly exists in the eighties and a little bit in the late seventies. Um and what from the nineties onwards, it's mostly used as like a parody. So there's yeah, like yeah. an episode of the Simpsons, well, a few episodes about the Simpsons in the Simpsons where there's an Indian burial ground, and that, like Buffy, there's an Indian burial ground. Yeah, and it's yeah. kind of it's always in kind of a bit tongue in cheek. Um, but there are lots of theories about uh, why this trope exists in in such uh, abundance. Uh, so lots of native activists and scholars. Uh, make a connection between the emergence of uh, this trope and the 1978 American Indian Religious Freedom Act, uh, which was a piece of legislation that allowed, that legalised previously outlawed native practices. And many of the, like, uh, illegality of those uh, practices dated back to, like, colonial times. Um so there was a general shift in acceptance in terms of legislation towards uh, native uh, communities. So that the, a film critic and a citizen of the Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma called Shea Vassar writes uh, in a column called Through the Native Lens. <clears throat> uh, the most frustrating aspect of the... Indian burial ground is that we are talking about a bunch of dead native people. This adds to the incorrect narrative that all Native Americans are extinct. The historical, and therefore non-existent at the modern time, image of the warrior chief and all his maidens and children that just need some flute music to play in the background is the common misconception of the Native American here. uh, Native American. Um... So uh, the Indian burial ground is a watered-down portrayal of natured cultures as a monolith that existed in the historical past instead of the vibrant and diverse umbrella that the term Native American covers even today. This isn't to say tropes can't be used correctly. I'm hoping that eventually a Native filmmaker will use the trope in a satirical way and point out some of the issues with using it in new media today. Um, the... Uh, so th- uh, uh, another... Um, activist uh, called Terry Jean gives five theories why this is such an enduring trope. And the theories are as follows. So number one, the uh, Indian burial ground plotline worked in one movie, so it'll work in others and they'll write it as long as it sells. Theory two, graveyards are well marked, while 
an Indian burial ground could be anywhere. This allows for endless possibilities without explanation, so it's a screenwriter's dream. Number three, a native villain or a native-inspired spirit that haunts the vicinity plays into stereotypes that have been around since colonisation. The attitude towards native people as lesser than or as equal to evil is reinforced. Theory four, people are afraid of what they don't know and the general public is undereducated about native people. And then number five, which was the first one that occurred to me when I started reading this, is about guilt, and specifically settler guilt. Um, There's a fear that native people killed by European settlers might come back for revenge on their murderous descendants. Um, But I think maybe on top of that, it's the idea of like uh, kind of non-Christian cultures being seen as like kind of... um, kind of mystical, kind yeah. of believing in kind of spirits and, and that like sort of stuff. like terrifying and unknowable and like, yeah. Yeah, just, and also yeah. like savages. Like yeah, kind yeah. Of the, the, uh, but yeah, so that's all um, th- those theories. There are some more though. Um, uh, the, uh, elsewhere, I read that it was um, attributed to... This is going to seem like a huge tangent, but I think it's interesting. So others have said that it's attributed to shifting attitudes towards Native Americans in general, which I think ties into this kind of white guilt thing about um, realising that they have been wronged um, and perhaps deserve some vengeance. Um, So there's an environmental historian uh, called uh, Finnis Dunaway uh, who's written about uh, not about this, but about a particular advert that was shown in the 70s uh, in the Chicago Tribune. And it says here, <clears throat> It's probably the most famous tear in American history. I and I's Cody, an actor in Native American garb, paddles a birch bark can- canoe on water that seems, at first, tranquil and pristine, but that, incre- but that becomes increasingly polluted along his journey. He pulls his boat ashore and walks towards a bustling freeway. As the lone Indian ponders the polluted landscape, a passenger hurls a paper bag out of a car window. The bag bursts on the ground, scattering fast food wrappers all over the Indian's beaded moccasins. In a stern voice, the narrator comments, Some people have a deep, abiding respect for the natural beauty that was once this country, and some people don't. The camera zooms in on I and I's Cody's face to reveal a single tear falling, ever so slowly, down his cheek. I've Have you seen, seen this? that parodied um, in The Simpsons? Yes, yeah. yeah. I think it's where um, Sideshow Bob is doing community service at the side of the road and oh. picking up litter. But yeah, it's it definitely. I, I, when I saw a picture of it, I I, I recognised it. Yeah. Um, so Cody's tear made its television. This is still from the article. Made its television debut in 1971 at the close of a public service adver- advertisement of the anti-litter organisation Keep America Beautiful. Um, uh, Yes, blah, blah, blah. it goes on to say that it's one of the best-known uh, adverts and uh, the crying Indian was seen as a symbol of environmental idealism. Um, but then uh, Dunaway goes on to say how this advert itself was very misguided um, because some believe that it was seen as an advert that actually improved the public's impression of Native Americans, um, but there are some problems with that. So I and I's Cody was actually called Espera de Corti, uh, he was of Sicilian descent, oh, and he was American. Uh, he played Native Americans in films, and throughout his life, he increasingly began to claim that he was Native American in a sort of Rachel Dolezal sort of Oops, fashion. So, yeah. <clears throat> um, and also, the organisation that made that uh, that like public service announcement thing, Keep America Beautiful, 
um, was founded by large corporations responsible for the mass production of packaging, um, like fast food packaging that could be seen in the... So Coca-Cola was one of the uh, the organisers of that. Um, and many of those corporations actively opposed environmental initiatives. Um, and it's seen... And it's seen more recently, the like more recent kind of... Uh, kind of critical readings of that advert has have seen it as a response to environmental and activists and organizations placing blame on industry and corporations for like a throwaway culture. Um, Whereas this advert places the onus on the consumers for littering. Um, So aside from how problematic the advert is um, and its intentions were, uh, it is seen as being like a shift in attitudes, uh, that also coincides with the formation of many native activist organisations, including the American Indian Advocacy Group. Um, And uh, the trope is also perhaps a response to, or maybe part of, the shift in the portrayal of the Native Americans as like barbaric and uncivilised to wronged people and keepers of the land. Mm. Um, but it potentially did more to harm than than it did good uh, because it portrays them instead as like a monolithic culture of kind of vengeful spirits of something Ooh. that exists only in the past um, and uh, kind of distances the kind of the guilty white settlers from these people who are actually kind of living in present day communities. Yeah. Um, so all of this <laughs> is my way of saying uh, justice for poltergeist because uh, it's explicitly stated that it's not an Indian burial ground and perhaps alludes to the fact that uh, Christian superstitions around death and dying and burying uh, and white superstitions are silly enough to provide fertile soil. Whoa. <laughs> Sorry for oh, the pun. Oh, yeah. Uh, for um, ghostly encounters uh, without having to be appropriative, lazy, and damaging to native communities. That was a, a good way of summarising. I enjoyed that very much. <laughs> Thank you. Well um, done. And I'm terrified. <laughs> <laughs> Next time I do a spooky bit, it will be spooky instead no, that of informative. <laughs> but yeah, just as poltergeist. Yeah. yeah. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Bloody Mary's Podcast, and that's Mary's with a Z. And thanks for our theme tune from uh, The Pink Pound. Uh, you can follow them at The Pink Pound Sound. And if you're enjoying Bloody Marys, please like, subscribe and share with all your friends.